took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now, I like that, disciples. Disciples, that, that's what we're interested in. Jesus says, go out and make disciples. Disciples are students. Students of what? Students of God. Students of Christ. Followers of his way. Plugged into his system. We're all disciples, I believe, in this way. This is what Jesus that's the mission of the church, make disciples. Doing what? Remember in Matthew, where he says, immersing them or baptizing them in the way of God's kingdom. In the name of Jesus, or the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So basically immersing them in the trinity of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is important why I'm mentioning this. Because today, we're going to talk about baptism. Baptisms, various kinds and sorts of thoughts and ideas about baptism. What's it mean to be immersed because this is certainly what Jesus commanded the church to do in Matthew. Go out and make disciples, like we see here, disciples, immersing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? And there's various views on what baptism is, and I want to talk about that today. I've got a view that's consistent with the Calvary view, which I will be talking about, but it's a little bit more nuanced. As you know, I like to nuance things a little bit. So we'll get to that in a moment. So Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, this is why I say a strange question, because imagine if Paul came today and knocked on the door and said, hey guys, all right, praise God, what a lovely church. Did y'all receive the Holy Spirit when you started believing? You know, I'm thinking, what, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What's what? Now, if you do nothing about the Holy Spirit, in other words, if you never read your Bible <laughs> and you didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, then this would be a very appropriate question. I've never, no one ever told me about Why? Why would they not know about it? Well, he gets to, to this. Well, it's clear in a moment. Basically, what they had was the message that came from John the Baptist. And that's, that was the message that was the idea, the concept of repentance. John's mission was to get people ready for Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ came, he promised that he would leave us, not as orphans, but give us his Holy Spirit as a helper or a guide. Okay? So John the Baptist pointed us to the work of Jesus. And Jesus is completed with first the cross, which is forgiveness, and of course the Holy Spirit. You know, not to be left alone, but to have God with us at all times. Is that okay? Does that make sense? So I'm kind of a little bit let the cat out of the bag. But I think it's okay to do that sometimes. So when you believed, did you, were you instructed about the Holy Spirit? Did anyone tell you about the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit? And they answered, no. They didn't even heard that there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and ask ourselves, what is this Holy Spirit all about? Because maybe we don't know what the Holy Spirit is. I can't assume we all know what the Holy Spirit is. So let's, let's investigate what is the Holy Spirit, who, rather, 
got to be very careful. I remember my Holy Spirit class at Calvary Bible College. If you call them what, would get in trouble. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is he all about? So John 14, 26 says, but the helper, and this is Jesus speaking here, guys, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. So he's described as a helper. So we're going to make a little list of, of descriptions of what the Holy Spirit is. The helper. He's a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. He's a helper. Whom the Father will send in my name. So he comes in the name of Jesus Christ. He represents Jesus, which ultimately represents God the Father. And he will teach. He's a teacher. He teaches you all things. And also will bring to your remembrance the things I've said. So it's interesting how active the Holy Spirit is. He teaches. So we might ask ourselves, how does the Holy Spirit teach me? And then also, look how intimate this is. He also helps you to remember, to be aware of certain things Jesus said. Now, that's deeply intimate. Now, you can say the teaching bit can happen corporately like right now. The Holy Spirit's interacting right now. But when you're out and about and a verse comes to your mind, I think that fulfills the second criteria, this bringing to your remembrance. It's very intimate, the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when you feel like you can't do it on your own, like kind of like how Robert was talking about today about the university situation, where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you, you, know, you know, there's always these half-truths about, and, you know, and, and, we, and we feel maybe a bit overwhelmed about all the, the nonsense, all the attacks upon our faith because of these half-truths. We feel weak. We feel like we can't stand up against him. Well, guess what? You have a helper, okay, who teaches you, who brings things to your awareness very intimately, and when you're feeling weak, he's there. That's the Holy Spirit. So already I'm feeling very encouraged about the Holy Spirit, but there's a lot more verses, and I'm going to warn you guys right now, today is all about Bible verses. You're going to be Bible verse immersed. It's going to be the, the baptism of the scriptures, okay? We don't know what, we, what to pray sometimes. Sometimes we pray and we get a little frustrated. What do we pray? Well, the Spirit helps us out when we pray. He does what is called interceding, which means goes, goes on your behalf. The Holy Spirit's there to help you out. Again, helping. He's there to go on your behalf. He's a helper. You know, you don't know what you're saying sometimes, but that's okay. The Holy Spirit will help out. He will even turn your groanings, your God business into sense. He will help you out. He'll give you the words to say, I don't know how to talk to God. The Holy Spirit's there to help you out. Next one. Next slide, Lewis. So we have the wonderful Holy Spirit. And that's what I do. I call him the wonderful Holy Spirit because, man, the Holy Spirit is wonderful. Look at the things he does. Isn't it wonderful? Let's continue. I mean, there's so many verses. I actually had to stop myself from printing verses about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's a pretty wonderful person. Can't call him a thing because I'll get in trouble. My old Bible college professor will hear it and he'll come and whack me in the hand. It's not a it. It's a he. It's a person. It's a person. So the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38. So this is when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts, the Pentecost. Peter said to the people who are hearing in, you know, the message and they're being touched, they're being moved. So he tells them as they're being moved by the message to repent and be baptized. Again, immersed or immersed. My tongue's a little bit funky, so my normal words are even more weirder than usual because I can't speak very clearly. So repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, make note that every time the Holy Spirit appears in the baptism of it, it's always in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ. Okay? Because, the, frankly, there's different spirits. John talked about different spirits, spirits of error. And we want to be very careful that the spirit we're talking about is the Holy Spirit, the spirit that comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Again, make a note of that, what the baptism of Jesus is. We talked about John Baptist's Baptism. It was an immersing in repentance. And we see repentance here. It's, it's a very important first step. But then the next step is the baptism that Jesus Christ gives us, which is forgiveness. You see, if we're repentant, but there's no forgiveness, then we'd be sad, 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 sad people. But now that we're, but repentance leads to forgiveness, and forgiveness is a lovely thing that we like. But, but, it, but it doesn't end with that. There's a gift that comes after forgiveness. And that gift is this. The Holy Spirit. So forgive us your sins. This is the number, set number two. And number three, after that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we already so we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we already know something about the Holy Spirit. He's helper. He brings intimate. He helps us out. He gives, teaches us. He's there when we're weak. So we already know something about the Holy Spirit, but now we get it. In a process which begins with repentance. And the reason why I'm saying this is important to think: Have I repented? You know, have I received forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ? Have I been immersed in these things? Because we want to have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes after these things. First comes repentance. Then this baptism, of, which is, leads to forgiveness of sins or, or points to forgiveness of sins. And then we receive the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live, guys? He lives within us. He lives in, upon, around. He's, our, our spirits like a, what's a temple do? A temple's a place of worship, isn't it? A place of sacrifice, right? So when, 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 the, when the, the temple priests would go in, especially the high priest, he would go in very deep into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice to God. And God's, presence was there so think about that okay so if God's okay, okay we know because the Bible says that God can't live in hands made you know live in, in homes and temples made by hands so we know God supersedes any kind of dwelling place and that includes our own bodies I hate to say it guys but the point is here God can be met in temples God was met in temples there was an intimate relationship between the high priest who was special in God God actual God okay in these temples. So now that intimacy that the high priest had, only the high priest had, that was actual, real, like, interaction with God in the Holy of Holies, is within us, personally. That's what I'm just reading here. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, within you, whom God, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Now here he's talking about, of course, mixing our bodies with sinful things. And why would you would not want to bring anything profane into the temple of God? So he's saying you shouldn't do that. And we know the Corinth, Corinthian church had a lot of problems with carnality. But, but, but that's not the point here. The point here is, is I want to get rest the fact that where he dwells is within us. And that's pretty amazing. It's, it's a place of worship, our bodies. So John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is Jesus speaking here. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. Again, the same concept of him being a helper. 
to be with you forever. I like that. Make a little note of that. He doesn't just come and go. He's with you forever. Even when you feel really low and really insignificant and really shattered and, and, you know, he's still there with you to help you. In fact, he's, we already learned he's there when you're weak. So when you're weak, he's even stronger. Even the spirit of truth. So he's described as truth. He's a truth teacher, a truth bearer, a truth giver. The world cannot receive him. See, again, like I said before in, in, in Acts 2, 38, it, it comes by believing, repenting, having, taking on that, immersing yourself, the baptism of Jesus Christ, which is forgiveness of your sins. Then the Holy Spirit comes. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is not for the world. The world doesn't know repentance. The world doesn't know forgiveness of sins. It, it's available to the world, but once the world receives it, the world's different. The world becomes a different kind of thing, becomes a spiritual thing, becomes a church. So for the church, so for the world that doesn't know God, they, they, can't, they can't even see the Holy Spirit. They can't, they can't make sense of it, which again confirms Robert's thing earlier about that lady who doesn't know Christ, but is writing about Christ. How are you writing about Christ if you don't know Christ? That's just like, to me, that's just a fallacy of, of, of acquaintance. You don't even know. You, you don't have the authority to speak of God if you don't know God. So truth. But the world can't get it. Because it, it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, the church, Christians, believers, repenters, disciples, people who are forgiven. We know him because what he dwells. Again, the concept of living with you guys living with us. He dwells with you and he will be in you. Now, Jesus said that will be in the future tense because this is pre-Pentecost with Jesus speaking here. He hasn't yet died on the cross. So that relationship, there's too much of a stain, but the cross cleans the stain so the Holy Spirit can be in us. That's why he didn't say, and the Holy Spirit is in you. He said he will be in you very soon, guys, because Pentecost is right around the corner. Isaiah 11, 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Again, more descriptions of what the Spirit is. He's wisdom. He's understanding. Again, if you feel a bit doted, have the Holy Spirit help you out there. That's what he does. He helps give us wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel, right direction, right choices in life, might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is reverence. It's having a proper attitude about God. And you have to have a proper attitude about God before you learn about God. That's why it says in the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of understanding. Next slide, please. Oh, by the way, I've got more verses about the Holy Spirit. In case if you haven't had one, I told you, I had to stop myself after this slide. John 16, 12 to 15, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He's a guide. He's a helper. He's a guide. He's there. He's with you. He's dwelling with you. Man, guys, are we getting it? Do we know what the Holy Spirit is all about? He's a guide. He guides you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. And you'll take what is mine and declare it to you. So again, he won't leave you alone. He doesn't leave you stupid and just confused. No, he's there to inform you with wisdom, with counsel, with might, with understanding. He points you to God. But it's in the name of Jesus Christ, which has been made very clear. 
Even here in Jesus speaking here, he's like, he doesn't speak on his own authority, but when he declares to you, or things to come, he glorifies. You know, he, he, he will take it to what is mine and declare it to you. So again, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. He points us to Jesus, which Jesus points us to the Father, to God. Luke eleven thirteen says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the Holy Spirit is the best gift a daddy can ever give his children for Christmas, basically. So what we're talking about here is something that's valuable. This relationship with the Holy Spirit in the close, intimate relationship, the contact we have with the Holy Spirit is utterly valuable. It's a gift, but it's the best kind of gift. It's a gift that comes directly from God. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's a concept. Freedom. People think that they're free to do whatever they want and practice sin willy-nilly. But sin, as we see with the Scriptures and through our own personal experiences, is bondage. But the Holy Spirit keeps us from bondage because it gives us wisdom and understanding how to avoid bondage. And so if we listen to the Spirit's advice, his guide, his counsel, his help, then there's freedom. But it's not pseudo-freedom to do whatever you feel like you want to do. It's genuine freedom. It's wisdom. Acts 1.8, you will receive power. The Holy Spirit gives you power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be able to do wonderful things, like preach the word all through the world. As he paraphrasing, by the way, boys and girls. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Okay, guys. Wow. That's the Holy Spirit. Can I say more? I can, yeah. But I'm not going to. Next slide, please. So, in Acts, we're only going to do the first seven verses, maybe, if we're lucky, of Acts 19. So now we're in three. So Acts 13, or 19, three. So Paul asked, then what baptism? So what are you baptized in? What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Remember I told you a little bit about John's baptism, right guys? But first, what does baptism mean? This is very important, especially when it comes to, you know, a, a good understanding of what's happening here. What's the word baptism mean? I think Traditionally, we'll think, well, baptism is when you get dunked in water, right? Well, it's more than that. The word baptism literally means immersion or submersion, okay? It doesn't have anything to do with water. In fact, in the past, we've heard it talked about fire. Like Jesus is going to come, he's going to baptize you in water and in fire. Well, certainly Jesus is going to dunk you into a fireplace, okay, guys? And, of course, we have the concept of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, Okay, so baptism is more than just being put under something and brought out, okay? Now, there's a ceremony of baptism. I'm going to talk about the ceremony of baptism. But there's also the reality of being immersed or submersed in something. And so that's why the question is, what Paul's asking here is, what are you immersed in? What are you filled with? What is your way? What, is, what saturates your lifestyle? I believe that's what he's asking here. What is your doctrine? Are you, are, you, are you just, are you incomplete because you're remaining in what John the Baptist brought, which was good? But do you not know the fullness of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that the Holy Spirit's come to be your helper? That's the fullness of the gospel. If it's half, you half it, 
then you're only immersed in a bit of it. But he wants them to be immersed in the whole gospel. He's like, I want you guys to be immersed in the whole gospel, in the kingdom of God, what God is doing. So what are you immersed in? Where do you swim? What do you breathe? Where does your life come from? Okay, again, the word immersion. To immerse means to involve oneself deeply in. So do you see how there is the ceremony of baptism, i.e. being dunked in the water or having your hands laid upon you and being asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life. But there's more to baptism. Baptism, in my opinion, this is where my nuance view comes in, it's based upon this definition. Baptism to me is a way of life. Okay? It's a way of life. There are some who say baptism, say, like here we're seeing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, guys? And there's, there's, there's a lot of people who believe that, like, like the high church Calvinist reforms, who believe that, that, that there's only one baptism and it includes everything. When you're saved, it all comes part and parcel. And there's like, there some churches that put a high emphasis on baptism, like the Catholic Church. Baptize them quickly. Get them sealed. But I, I am dubious about those views. And the reason why is, is in our church, we've seen supposedly well-intentioned people get baptized, but then quickly walk away from God. And so we have to ask ourselves, was that genuine or not? So it appeared like it was sincere. They did this ceremony of baptism, but then they totally walked away from God. There's a problem there for me. And when you baptize infants, there's a problem there because how, what does it actually do to a person? I mean, you grow up and you have to make choices, life choices. And you might think, well, I was baptized, so I'm sealed. I'll get to heaven at some point, but I'm going to live my life like hell. That's meaningless. So that's why I have a nuanced version. And my nuance, and there's, okay, there's others, a Pentecostal charismatic view of baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit, where they say it's different. And this is what Calvary taught. This is what Calvary taught me when I was in Bible college, that there is a baptism of water and a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill your life into, you know, to overfilling. And it's something that, that some argue you should do often, okay? To me, in my nuanced vision or view of this, is that these things, the baptism in the water, the actual water going in the water coming out, and the laying on hands are ceremonial, Okay, they're symbolic. Okay, they only mean something if you are sincere in your doing it. Okay, the reason why I'm saying this, I've seen insincerity in both cases. When I was in Bible college, there was a guy who asked to get baptized in the Holy Spirit every week. Okay, I think that's just weird. And the reason why we have to have, we have, to have an open space for insincerity. And the thing is, and it's like communion. Communion is a ceremony. But listen, what, what's, what's the similarity between communion and baptism is this, in my opinion. Again, it's my nuanced version. Is that it's, it's a kind of acting, if you will. Okay? When we do communion, we're not actually with Jesus' disciples, but we're pretending. Okay? In our minds, we're putting ourselves in that place. It's remembering and so it's a deep, sincere acting, if you will. Like, I, right now, when we take this bread, I'm pretending like I'm with Jesus. When I take the cup, nothing magically is happening in you, but it's worship. It points to the cross. It points to Jesus Christ. And so when I'm doing it, I'm putting myself in a, in, in a state where I'm pretending like. So it's really sincere, deep acting, if you will. I'm with Jesus. I'm seeing him on the cross. I'm taking this onto myself. And I think baptism should be the same way. Now, there are some who act insincerely, and they get baptized because they think it's doing something it's not because their life isn't changed. And for them, that's all they get from it. But there are others, I believe, that are you and I, who have or will get baptized. And it's sincere. Again, what happens? Think about what water baptism is, for instance. You're going under the water. 
Okay, so it's like you're acting like you're dying with Jesus. And then when you come out of the water, it's, you're, again, you're acting like you're, and, you're, and you're, you should have your mind into it. And you should really, it should be really sincere and, and very vivid. You're coming out of the water and you're raising from the grave. Just like how Jesus rose from the grave. It's a picture of your resurrection because of your special status, your special relationship with God. You see it? So you're not actually dying in the water. And you're not actually coming back to life. You come out. It's symbolic. It's really good, worshipful, deep, sincere acting, if you will. So what is baptism then? To me, those are just ceremonies. To me, baptism is your life. Baptism is your real life. Do you have a life of repentance? Do you have a life that's been forgiven? Have you received forgiveness? Do you walk actively with the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit really with you? To me, it's about the work of God, not the work of man. And so if you want to be baptized, be baptized Please make it sincere. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I don't care. This my nuanced version works with the Calvary way because do it. But to me, the work's already done. The baptism's already happening. A lot of times, the ceremony comes after the fact. It's like secondary because you're excited. I love God. I found God. I, I'm, I'm repentant. I, I want to be. And so, for a lot of you guys, you've already had a, an active walk with God before you're baptized. And I just say it. I was baptized many years after I started walking with God. In fact, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit before I was water baptized. Some people might say, oh, that's all backwards. You know what? Oh, well. Because I believe the real baptism happened in my heart. Those were just ceremonies. Those were just symbolic things that pointed to the meaningful, real thing. So the reason why this is a good view, in my opinion, is because if you're meaningful, it points to something meaningful. If you're insincere, it points to nothing. It's just a pointer. So let's move on. So, Paul asks, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, which we know is the baptism of repentance. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. Again, his whole baptism, again, this is more proof for my argument that it's a pointer. It's an indicator. He was pointing towards something else, and that's Jesus Christ. That is Jesus. Five. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, and to my opinion, this is baptism in a ceremonial sense, but also a beginning of teaching, living a lifestyle that's complete. Not just the repentance bit, but the whole picture, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit coming up really quick here. Next slide, please. Told you guys I got a lot of verses. Wow. Wow and wow. Let's just end looking at these baptism verses. And then, because I was going to talk about tongues and prophecies, but talk about biting off more than you can chew. No pun intended there. <laughs> baptism. Let's finish with these verses of baptism just to kind of put a stop to this. Because I think we're definitely talking a lot about what baptism means. Okay, so think about what I said, because what I said was my view. It's my theory, if you will. But you have to challenge it, whether it be right or wrong. And how do we challenge things? We look at what the Bible says, right? So I give you three perspectives. There's the baptism all in one. There's there's two baptisms. There's the one before and one after. And then there's basically the ceremonial versus the genuine 
perspective of baptism. Your life is the genuine baptism, but then these ceremonies are just pointers of what's really happening in your life. So here, in Matthew 3.11, this is John the Baptist speaking here. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. So again, John's baptism was for repentance, getting people ready and right for God, for Jesus. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we're going to see a tight connection with what Jesus does and what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's Points. He's like a helper who comes to, to, to be with us when Jesus can't be with us. So he comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And by the way, again, he's not going to dunk you in fire. This is symbolic, okay? What, fire, what does fire mean? Fire can mean lots of things. It can mean um, to purify, right? Fire judgment, you know? Um, fire passion. I mean, it can mean anything, you know? Um, Power, fire, fuel, power, right? And, that, and these are all true. These are all true right descriptions of what Jesus does in our lives when we are immersed in him. Not just when we get dunked, but every day immersion, every day walking in his way, his will, his kingdom. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, this is again the day of the Pentecost, when people were, when the Holy Spirit was coming out and pouring out in a radical way, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the what? Forgiveness. So you see a distinction. John, repentance. Jesus, forgiveness. Why couldn't John produce forgiveness? Because forgiveness came by the cross. We had to be redeemed. We had to, the substitutionary atonement had to have happened. When John, it was prior to this sacrificial atonement, but Jesus was the sacrificial atonement that made it possible for us to be forgiven, to have a right standing with God. So that's what the baptism of Jesus is all about. You will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. You see how it's tied in? Acts twenty two sixteen. and now why do you wait? That's a question. Why do we wait? Raise up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Again, wash away your sins. That's, 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 that's another metaphor of forgiveness. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an angel to God for a good appeal. It's an angel. Too many verses. makes my eyes go crazy. <sighs> Remove the dirt from the body. Again, the idea of being cleansed, right? It's, it's purification. And an appeal to God for a good consciousness. Removal of guilt. A forgiveness of sins. Again, it's all metaphorical. Through the resurrection, Jesus Christ is possible because of his resurrection. Whoever, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Again, baptism, not just a sprinkling, not just dunkling, but being immersed in Jesus Christ, in his Holy Spirit. That wonderful Holy Spirit, which we learn so much about, who's helpful and, and powerful and loving and he's intimate and he's, you know what I'm saying? This is what immersion's all about. It's not just a little thing you did that, that you spent five minutes with a minister doing at one time. It's a lot more than that. Romans 6, 34, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. Okay, when you get baptized, you don't actually die again. It's symbolic. You baptize with Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, not literally. We would get in trouble. I baptized a few of you in here, and I would have gotten in trouble if I actually buried you in the ground because you die, and then I'd have charges against me. Okay, you were buried, therefore, with him and by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, baptism's about what life being immersed in life, or as this is here, a newness, new newness, newness. Yes, a newness. Is that even a word? That's newest. The newest of life, right? I'm just playing with you guys. It's newness. And it just sounds funny. Those, those words, it sounds funny come up here. A newness of life. So in my personal opinion, genuine life is a life that's immersed in God, in Jesus Christ, with an active relationship with his spirit. 